You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Let us pray. Holy Father, we ask you now to lend us thy ear and receive our honest confessions. Our hearts are polluted and unclean. Our transgressions are great. Our sins are too many to count. We cannot hide our secret sins or shameful thoughts from you, for you are the all-seeing God. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. What is more, we are guilty of sins of omission. We have omitted to do the things that you have commanded. We have failed our basic duty to love you and our neighbors as we should. And we have disregarded your supremacy each time we chose our own comforts over obedience. O righteous and just God, were you to deal with us as we deserve, we would forever be lost in darkness with no hope of relief. Your verdict is true, your judgments are fair. Yet isn't it true that while we are still sinners, you send your Son to redeem us? Isn't it true that while we are still enemies, Christ died for us? And surely in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of your grace. Grant us to know this free and amazing grace. For it is by grace we have been saved, through faith. This is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. So as sure as your promises hold true, at the cross of Christ, your grace, your love abounds for sinners like us who don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, that you give to all who are thirsty water without cost from the spring of living water. Help us, Lord, to walk by the Spirit and not to gratify the desires of our flesh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we abide in the true vine, prune us, nourish us, shower us with your grace, that we might bear more and more fruit to your glory. And make every area of our lives be pleasing in your sight and thoroughly conform us into the image and character of Christ. Gracious God, now as we turn our minds and heart upon your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Grant us a humble and teachable attitude that we might hold fast to what you reveal from your word through this inadequate preacher today. For we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, 
We hunger for more of you. Give us more of Christ today. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 17. And we will continue to look at Jesus' longest recorded prayer in his final hours before going to the cross. Last week, we looked at verses 1 to 5. And today, we will be looking at the rest of the chapter from verses 6 to 26. John 17, verse 6 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in them. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, 
Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Amen. This is the reading of God's Word. In our times of need or want, in our times of troubles or worries, what do we do? We often ask our friends to pray for us. We ask our loved ones to pray for us. We ask our church leaders and pastors to pray for us. And we ask people to pray for us because we find comfort in knowing that other people interceding for us to the Father is really quite comforting. And praying for each other and praying together can actually be a powerful experience and deeply comforting. But if other people praying for you can bring you such comfort, then how much more powerful and comforting is it to know that Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, prays for you? James chapter 5 verse 16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Then, how much more powerful and effectual is the prayer of Jesus Christ, the most righteous of all. In our passage today, it's really about Jesus Christ praying for His disciples and all believers. As I was meditating on this passage in preparation for this sermon, I was so comforted, overcome with peace, with this recurring thought that Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ prays for me. If you are a believer today, I want you to be encouraged by this. Jesus Christ himself bends his knee, looks toward heaven, and has made petitions for you. And you can be sure that Jesus' prayers have reached the ears of his Father. And you can be sure that his prayers for you is effective and active. You see, Jesus is so committed to the good of his people, so much so that he prays for them in his final hour before going to the cross. And he prays specifically with specific petitions. We're going to look at those today. And his petitions for his people really reveal his heart for his people. This is what I want all of you to see and savor today, the very heart of Jesus Christ for you, His beloved church. And I want to qualify that with this. Four times in His prayers in John chapter 17, Jesus describes His followers as those who have been given to Him by the Father. First, if you look at If you have your Bibles, if you first look at verse 2, he says, 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And then look at verse 6. Jesus prays, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. And again, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Look again to verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And moreover, we see that Jesus uses similar language all throughout the Gospel of John, especially in John chapter 6 and 10. And so it is unmistakable here that the Gospel of John proclaims a gracious God who has chosen a people for himself, not based on any merit of their own, but because of his mercy. And he has entrusted his chosen people to his Son to save them. In the words of John Calvin, God has committed everyone he has chosen to the guardianship of his Son, that they may not perish. The Apostle Paul celebrates this gracious election again in Ephesians chapter 1. It reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. And so, beloved, today, if you are here and you follow Him, if you believe in Him, if you chose Him, it's ultimately because He first chose you before the creation of the world. He first loved you. That's what it says in the Word. And since He chose you and set His love upon you, His love for you will never cease. He will never forsake you. You may run from Him, You may be prone to wander, but Jesus told us he will not lose one of his sheep. The Father has entrusted you to him, and he is committed to bring you safely home. You will not be lost. You see, this is the motive that is consistent with the rest of Jesus' prayer for his followers In John chapter 17, you will not be lost. I'm going to show that to you. But first, let me explain that Jesus' thoughts in his prayer here are not exactly linear, as you can see. He circles around different themes, and they are all beautifully interwoven. But I categorized Jesus' petitions for his people into three helpful categories for us to ponder. First, 
protection. Second, unity. And third, salvation. Let's look at these in more detail. First, Jesus prays for the protection of his people. Look with me to verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And then look with me to verse 15. He prays, My prayer is not that you take me out of the world, but that, sorry, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is physically departing from his disciples. He will no longer be there physically with his people to protect them. Jesus knows that all those who follow him will suffer the hatred of the world, for the world hated them, and the world hated him. Jesus knows that his followers will face persecution inside the church and also face threats and divisions inside the church. And for all these reasons, Jesus prays for protection. And he prays specifically for our protection from the evil one, that is, Satan, who seeks to tempt, corrupt, divide, and attack his church. Though Christ delivered the fatal blow to Satan on the cross, Satan continues to assault believers until the final day when Christ returns and forever banishes him to be tormented in hell. But until that day, we're told that the devil prowls around like a lion, looking to devour. And even the greatest of Christians may be tempted to commit the greatest of sins. You see, none of us here in this room right now are free from the assaults and schemes of the devil. Even as I speak now, he prowls across the aisles, across our minds, across our hearts. He is a dangerous and powerful foe who seeks only to kill, steal, and destroy. He schemes to counter the works of God and to destroy this church and to destroy you and to destroy everyone that you love. He is a powerful foe indeed. And my aim right now is not to strike you with the fear of the devil, but to remind you to be sober, to be on high alert. If you are a Christian, you are in a state of war, spiritual warfare. And you need to be alert against enemy attacks. Do not allow yourself to be disengaged or distracted. And do not underestimate the enemy and what harm can be done to you and those around you. Because think about it. 
You need protection from Him. You need protection from the evil one. If you didn't, then why would Jesus pray for this? You need protection from the evil one. Jesus reminds us in verse 16 to 18 that we, His people, are no longer of this world, but we are to be sanctified, set apart, sent back into this world as a holy people. We do not conform to the patterns of this world. We do not give in to the allures of the devil. Resist him. And do not indulge in the evil desires of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, we have been given this charge to put on the full armor of God, to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and to fight the good fight of faith, to watch our life and doctrine closely. You see, Jesus prays not for us to be taken out of this world. Jesus prays not for the absence of hardship and evil in your life now. Rather, He prays for our protection. And therefore, we are to courageously fight on, to labor, to put all evil behind us. And we fight with the assurance of victory that Christ has triumphed over Satan and that Christ is sovereign over all evil. And so, beloved, you will not be lost so long as you are under the protection of the Lord Almighty. Number two, Jesus prays for the unity of His people. Jesus prays for the unity of His people. We've seen already in verse 11 that Jesus prays for the protection of His people, but if you look carefully at the second half of verse 11, we're told the purpose for their protection, so that they may be one as we are one. And Jesus expounds this further in verses 20 to 23. He prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, what I find profound here is this. What is profound, first of all, is the standard of unity that Jesus calls us to. The standard of unity is nothing of this world. It's not the chemistry of the Golden State Warriors. It's not the most successful corporations, businesses, or organizations on this planet. The standard of unity that He calls us to is the perfect unity in the Trinity. The holy unity of God. 
the oneness between the Father and the Son is the pattern and example for the oneness between believers. Moreover, Jesus says, the complete unity of believers serves as an evangelistic witness to the world. Our visible love and harmony for one another promotes the gospel that we preach. On the other hand, divisions and bitterness in the church, scandals, it breeds suspicion and mistrust toward the church and the gospel that we preach. You see, the church is the visible display of God's goodness worked out in a redeemed community. Collectively here now, we are a picture of God's work of redemption, God's character, and God's teachings lived out. That's who we are, the church. And so let me ask you a question here. Let's say that an outsider, a visitor, a newcomer, they step into this church. They step into our community. Will they see and experience who our God is and what He is like? Think about that. If an outsider comes to our church right now, into our community, will they see and experience who God is and what He is like? If the answer is no or maybe, that's a problem. And also means that you are part of that problem. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not the church leader's or the pastor's job to be the church. It's the job of the church united to be the church. We together are the redeemed community of God. And so what will you do? What will you do? What part will you play to build up this church toward unity and full maturity in Christ. That is your responsibility. Have you ever seen an eight-man crew rowing competition? A rowing competition? It's pretty incredible how fast these boats glide through the water. In the sport of rowing, Strength is not the most important virtue. For a boat to glide across the water at great speed, unity of the rowers is essential. It doesn't matter how fast or or how hard everyone is rowing if they are not synchronized. And the rowers stay synchronized by listening to the voice of the coxswain. The coxswain is the coach who sits at the very back of the boat and they are responsible for calling out each stroke and steering the boat. You see, the rowers fully depend on the voice because they're faced backwards when they row and they can't even see where they're going. 
In the same way, the church can only be united by submitting to the single voice of God, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. But the irony today is this, that many Christian churches and institutions, seminaries, in the name of unity, they neglect the Holy Scriptures and they undermine the Word of God. They might use difficult terminologies like ecumenism. We're an ecumenical movement. It's just a fancy word for unity. But in the name of unity, they actually undermine the Word of God. That's what we're seeing here today. You know, some of these Christian organizations, they have great and noble intentions. Global missions, global charity to solve global poverty. And yet, in their ambition to achieve a noble purpose, they compromise and they settle for the lowest common theological denominator. You know what I'm talking about? I was once like that when I was a young Christian. I was once like that. I, I was zealous for just sharing the gospel with everybody. But let's not talk about theology. Let's not talk about the doctrine of Christ or Trinity or sin or hell or election. Let's, let's not talk about these things. Let's not talk about the controversial things. Let's just share Jesus with people. Let's just love people. It's not bad, but is this really the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for? I mean, it's not a bad intention, but is this really the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for? If it was, then why would Jesus pray this in verse 17? Look at verse 17. He says, and he prays this, Sanctify them, by the truth, your word is truth. You see, the people of God cannot be sanctified and set apart for the purposes of God if they are not first immersed in the truth of God, in the word of God. And we've been warned by God. We've seen it in history. And we see it now in contemporary scenes. Disinterest and disdain for theological precision leads to a reduced gospel, weak evangelism, and dying churches. So let us hold fast to the Holy Scriptures. For every word of it is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beloved, you will not be lost so long as you stay united in the Word of God. Number three, Jesus prays for the salvation of His people. Jesus prays for the salvation of His people. Look with me to verse 24. The ultimate end of salvation 
The ultimate goal of our salvation is communicated in this one verse, verse 24. Jesus prays this. He prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. See, Jesus longs for his people to be with him forever. In all his glory, Jesus prays for the gathering of his people in heaven so that we can enjoy him and see and celebrate his glory forever without end. This is the ultimate end of our salvation. People of God, we shall never have to live in darkness again but we shall enjoy the full brightness of heaven. In the new heaven and new earth, there will be no need for the sun or the moon, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb of God is its lamp. Heaven is home, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and it won't be long until He embraces you and says to you, Welcome. Home. And you see, the whole story of salvation traces back to this. It traces back to the love of the Father. To be more precise, it traces back to the eternal and perfect love of the Father for the Son before the creation of the world, as described in the end of verse 24. And then look with me to verse 26. This is how Jesus closes his prayer in verse 26. He prays this, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. See, there is something really important here that we cannot afford to miss. Jesus wants his followers to know that the Father loves them. And the Father loves them with the eternal and perfect love of the Father for the Son. Dear believer, perhaps some of you still doubt his love for you. And if you are still doubting his love for you, it means you are still seeing yourself as the focus of God's love. You doubt God's love because you're not worthy enough. Because you're not good enough. But what if the focus of God's love for you was not you? What if the focus of God's love for you was not you, but the sinless, perfect Son of God? It is written, We are loved by the Father with the love that He has for Christ, His Son. It is written, 
You are made lovable. You are made fully acceptable by God in Christ. And He will not love you any less than He loves His own Son. He will not stop loving you as so far as He does not stop loving His own Son, Jesus Christ. You see, by grace, by sheer grace, we are drawn into the perfect love and community of the Trinity. Beloved, you will not be lost, for your salvation is bound up in the perfect and eternal love of God. And permit me now to address you as well, dear unbelieving friends and visitors. You too can experience the greatest love to ever exist. You too can experience love so deep, so kind, so gentle, so constant, and never ceasing. You don't need to clean yourself up first to receive this love. You don't need to turn your life around first to earn this love. But just come to the cross of Christ, where he bled and died for the sins of many. To give hope to the hopeless and to the lost sinners. To restore them and present them holy and blameless before the Father. Come to Christ in faith. Nothing else, no merit, no good works, just come to Christ in faith and experience the amazing love of God. And so, Diaspora Church, receive your consolation. Jesus Christ is committed to your good, so much so that he looks toward heaven And he prays in his final hours for your protection, for unity, for salvation. This is his heart for his beloved church. So let us fight the good fight of faith with all assurance of victory in Christ. Let us stand united in his word. Let us stand amazed in his love. And let us preach the word wherever we go. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your grace. Lord Jesus, in your final hour, you pray for our protection because we so desperately need it. You pray for our unity, our complete unity. Lord, we pray for the complete unity of the Aspera Church and give all of us a shared responsibility to build up this church in all unity, in all maturity in Christ. And we thank you that you pray for our salvation, that Jesus, you long for us to be where you are forever with you, to see you in all your glory. This is what we anticipate 
And this is what we look forward to each day and help us to truly live into this reality and to reflect our lives in such a way that we are truly anticipating for the day that Christ you return and you will finally take us home. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.